Blog Talk Radio. Sixers Report with your hosts, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Kasky Blomane. The Sixers got another big win last night over the Nets and are now up to eight wins on the season. Uh, Jeff and Mike reporting to you with another edition of the 76ers Report. As always, you can follow us on the app Stitcher and make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. Uh, Mike, let's start with the big night from Ja. Uh, 22 points, 17 rebounds, three blocks in the 103 to 98 Sixers win. Uh, a lot of people have, you know, hammered Okafor's ability to rebound and defend all all season. Uh, was this performance enough to silence, you know, those critics momentarily? Yeah, I mean, I think at least momentarily it was, uh, you know, against a, a Nets team that is, uh, you know, struggling uh, about as bad as the Sixers are. You can't put too much stock into a single uh, victory over them. But there was definitely, uh, you know, a, a improvement on Jaws. And I think the, the most impressive or at least the biggest takeaway for me from that game was that him and Nerlens actually looked like they could coexist together on the court. Um, and that was a direct result of what you said, Ja, uh, you know, looking more engaged defensively and hitting the boards. He, uh, you know, earlier in the season when they tried tried out with Noel at the five and Ja at the four, it just, uh, you know, didn't work out. Uh, ja, ja just wasn't able to, you know, really be quick enough and defensively to get out on the fours. And I think last night um, you definitely saw more uh, a concerted effort on his part to both hit the glass and, uh, you know, just be more effective defensively. And, uh, you know, there were long stretches last night where him and Noel were out there together and Noel was protecting the paint and Ja was, uh, you know, serving effectively as the foreman. And, uh, you know, that I think that was pretty uh, pretty promising. Uh, that was definitely, like, one of the bigger takeaways I took away from that game last night. It really was a statement game from Okafor, in my opinion. You know, if he's going to seriously be considered for Rookie of the Year over, you know, Carl Anthony Towns or Chris Porzingis. He's really going to have to increase those rebounding totals in the second half of the season here. And uh, there's no question, you know, he's the most offensively talented big man in the class. But, you know, voters are going to look at those rebounding numbers very closely when making that final decision. Um, so, you know, his his play definitely has improved defensively. I, I think we've seen, you know, stretches where he's been a lot better compared to, you know, a, a few months ago on the defensive end. Um, obviously his rebounding numbers have stayed somewhat, you know, the same, uh, throughout the past month or so, but, you know, to see a game like this, you, you, um, you know, almost look towards the future and, and wonder, you know, if he can sustain it, if he can keep it up and, you know, if he can keep that activity level on the boards, 
as high as it, uh, you know, was last night. But, you know, another thing which um, was really, you know, amazing to see was uh, the play of T.J. McConnell, you know, filling in for Ishmith out with a left ankle injury, uh, 17 points, uh, six assists, two steals, uh, getting the start, you know, on a 7 of 10 shooting. So, you know, what do you think of, you know, T.J. really stepping in there, uh, getting the big minutes again for the first time in a while and, you know, kind of overperforming in there? Yeah, absolutely. T.J. was uh, super impressive last night. Um, you know, when, once it was announced that Ish was out, I didn't know, you know, exactly how, how much of a chance the team had. They've only won one game this season without Ish uh, starting that, that game over the Lakers. And Kobe's last game in Philly was, the uh, you know, the only game they had won with without Ish. So, you know, I didn't know exactly how they would fare, because especially that, that would mean extended minutes, you know, for Kendall Marshall, who hasn't really played much. But, uh, you know, TJ just really, as he has done basically all season, he really just stepped up for the moment. And, uh, you know, he, he outperformed my expectations. But, uh, you know, it's starting to become the norm for him. He just, uh, you know, he he's super efficient on the offensive end. Like you said, I think he was 7 for 10 last night. He doesn't turn the ball over he doesn't force bad shots he doesn't force bad passes you know he puts guys in position with uh you know where they can score and get good offensive opportunities for themselves and then defensively you know he's just so locked in Uh, in the last like three minutes of the game last night i think he two or three like clutch deals the one that he got at uh midcourt that led to the uh, okafor pass to noel at the end that kind of sealed it and then there was another one before that you know and it's just a direct result of him being you know super locked in and aggressive um defensively and, you know, he just doesn't try to do, you know, play outside of his means at all. He just let, kind of lets the game come to him, you know, as coaches often say. And he just really, uh, you know, he's the opposite of a liability on the floor. He, uh, you know, he makes few mistakes and he just uh, creates opportunities for everyone. So, uh, you know, he's been proving, uh, you know, people wrong all season, uh, you know, all the way since summer and draft and training camp and everything. It's, and, uh you know, he continues to show that he, you know, might honestly have potential to be a, uh, you know, a backup point guard for the team going forward that can, you know, come in as a spot starter or play extended minutes at time and, you know, really not lose, uh, you know, overall production for the team. Yeah, I mean, interesting uh, you pointing out how, you know, they've only had one win without a Smith all season. Um, so that just makes it even better to, to see TJ go out there and, you know, lead this team to another victory. And, uh, I mean, you got to give some merit to TJ McConnell hanging around on the NBA.com rookie ladder all season, uh, despite being sent to the bench and and still putting up production uh, coming into the game off the bench for the Sixers. And, uh, yeah, it's really great to see a guy who, you know, all his hard work uh, in the offseason, going undrafted and, and really coming in and doing what he's been doing has been you know, incredible to watch. And obviously the Sixers had, had been high on him, um, you know, since the end of uh, March last season. And, uh, yeah, it's really great to see. Um, and, I mean, it's really been kind of a weird stretch of games for the Sixers as of late. I mean, you had a win over the Suns followed by a bad loss to the Pistons, uh, pushing the Warriors until the final possession, followed by being blown out by the Hawks. And, you know, a rough game against the Wizards followed by a win over the Nets. Um, I mean, besides just being a young team, how can you explain kind of the sporadic play? Do you feel like, you know, maybe confidence is still a big issue with this team? 
like you said, kind of just the inexperience and the, uh, yeah, probably confidence and inconsistency from some of the players. I think uh, the most uh, kind of confusing was the two games immediately after that Golden State game, uh, the the loss to the Hawks and then the loss to the Wizards, which, uh, you know, neither of those games were close whatsoever. I, I was, uh, I think it was either Mark or Ala mentioned on the broadcast last night when the Sixers took the, the lead at the beginning of the game, it was their first lead in three games. They had, you know, they were down wire to wire against the Wizards. They didn't have a, win, uh, a lead for a single second in that game or in the game against the, the Hawks. Their first lead before <laughs> last night was in the, in the first quarter against the Warriors, which was a full week, um, you know, a full week ago at the time of last night, mm-hmm. which was pretty, uh, you know, pretty interesting that basically the, the Hawks game and the Warriors or the Wizards game, excuse me, they were just out of it completely. And I think that, that those two games were kind of head scratchers to me. Cause you would think, uh, you know, despite the Golden State game being, you know, a loss in the books, it was, you know, viewed by everyone for as, as far as the Sixers go, as basically a win. The fact that, uh, you know, it took a, a Harrison Barnes buzzer beater to beat the Sixers, when they, the Warriors had been, you know, stomping title contenders by 30 points was, you know, a, a good look for the Sixers that they were able to keep it that competitive and, you know, make the, the champs sweat that much. You know, Steph didn't get to sit out the fourth quarter like he'd done 14 other times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, just, I thought that was a game that was really kind of like a, a, a momentum builder for the young Sixers, and then it kind of just went the other way <laughs> completely. Yeah. I, and I really don't know. Uh, I don't know what it, what explains it. Brett, Brett said uh, – you know, the team was just kind of lifeless um, in that game against the Hawks. Uh, and they just, yeah, like they kind of just looked out of it. I don't know if it was kind of a, a mini version of a championship hangover with their championship being you know, <laughs> playing the Warriors that close or whatever. But, uh, you know, I think last night was much more of, you know, the Sixers that we've come to expect over the past, uh, you know, like month or so since Ishri joined the team. And, uh, you know, I, I think this inconsistency has been the biggest issue. You know, some play a couple nights, like Robert Covington will be basically MIA, and then one night he'll have seven threes. Uh, same with Isaiah. Nick Stauskas, you know, has been up and down all season. And I, I think that, like you mentioned, that probably does have a lot to do with, you know, just young players' uh, confidence issue and just getting comfortable with the system and, you know, how many minutes they're going to see. The lineup's been changing a little bit. Uh, you know, Brett, of course, has been experimenting all season. So I think some games maybe some guys don't know exactly, you know, what how many minutes to expect that they're going to get. Uh, you know, those are all issues that they'll have to figure out as the team goes forward. But, uh, you know, hopefully last night was more, uh, you know, what the team will look like going forward. Yeah, and let's go back to that Warriors game for a second here. Uh, I mean, that Ish Smith steal and bucket followed by the Harrison Barnes three. Can you think of a more heartbreaking loss in the Sam Hinkie era? I mean, uh, that, that's that got to be number one in my mind. And, uh, I mean, it's just incredible how how they fought back from, you know, that large deficit. And um, for it to end that way, you know, that that's not something that I'm sure fans <laughs> – Enjoyed very much, and, you know, I, I definitely felt sick to my stomach afterwards. But how was that one for you? Uh, yeah, it was it was definitely rough. I, I don't think there, as you mentioned, I definitely don't think there was, a, you know, a more disappointing moment in the hinky era just because, you know, the the emotional investment's never really there. Uh, there's definitely been some close games that they've lost. Uh, I remember a couple years ago when I was covering it that under the first year, uh, uh, Tobias Harris buzzer beater that the Magic uh, – <laughs> for the yeah. magic that took the Sixers down. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, this game, uh, although the outcomes are, you know, secondary for the Sixers this season, I think this was one that, 
everyone wanted to see them pull off. Uh, you know, that w- it would have been the story of the year, basically, uh, as far as the regular season basketball goes. You know, basically the, the worst team in the league beating possibly one of the best teams ever in the NBA. Yeah. Um, and so it was definitely one that, and, and like, I think it would have done wonders for the team's confidence. I think even coming as close as it did, certainly uh, as close as it did, as they did certainly helped their confidence. But yeah, I think coming away with a win uh, in that one definitely would have been, you know, great for the, the young guys and the young players to kind of build, uh, grab and build on to. So, you know, it, it was such a uh, roller coaster of emotions when Ish got that steal and the finish, uh, you know, there was, the tons of excitement and you're thinking like oh my like, holy crap they could actually win this game and then you know so quickly the warriors warriored harrison barnes hit, hit the <sighs> three there was you know it, it was bad too because i remember looking at the clock as soon as the three went in and there wasn't even i think it was point uh point five seconds left you mm-hmm. know which is when you not even enough time to get an attempt so you just you know it's basically over as soon as that shot sinks and then it's just uh you know you go from that excitement of you know we might win might go to overtime to just that like sinking feeling like ah oh, man the warriors just did what they always do but uh you know overall it was I'd, uh, i was definitely happy with the performance and i do think despite how they came out for the next two games i do think that was a uh, you know a great experience for the for a young team to take you know, a team that's being touted so as highly as the Warriors are and a guy like Steph and, you know, Clay and how great that whole team is to, you know, push him to the brink like that when, you know, in that same week, I think they beat the Cavs and the Spurs by over 30 points. And then to, you know, beat the Sixers by three, I definitely thought it was a, a good look. But a, a win in that situation definitely would have been nice. Yeah, I mean, people always talk about the Sixers having good losses and, Obviously, this is the best loss you could possibly have, but it's uh, yeah, it's very heartbreaking. Um, I I didn't actually see this play until after the fact. Um, someone posted it up on Twitter, um, so I was able to look at it. I don't know if you saw it either, but um, you know, towards the end of the game, there right before when Harrison Barnes hit that shot, um, Robert Covington was guarding Sean Livingston, kind of underneath the basket. And Livingston um, kind of pulled his arm back uh, when he was trying to defend him or block him out, whatever. But that slight arm pull kind of uh, took him off a second from, uh, you know, trying to get back on Sean Livingston for the three. And, you know, that slight second obviously caused, uh, you know, Harrison to be wide open there in the corner. Uh, Did you get to see that play? Um, And if not, what did you just, you know, think of what I just said there? Yeah, you know, I did notice that uh, I I didn't I couldn't tell exactly how long you know it, it delayed uh, you know the arrival on Harrison, but I, I definitely saw it. I don't know; it, it'd be tough, you know, in the position of a referee to make that call in that situation. I guess with uh, you know at the, at the last play of the game instead of just kind of the mantra of let them play. But uh, you know, I definitely noticed it. I think the the biggest takeaway I had from that play too was you know people were questioning why. Uh, you know, I think I forget who the defender was right now off the top of my head, but they went and put two. They kind of went to pressure double team Steph at like the top of the the key, which you know led to the mm-hmm. pass down uh, into the paint, which then led to the kick out to Harrison when he was wide open. Uh, so you know there was questioning why why they would send two at Steph in that position rather than just stay down on uh, you know each individual man, considering every player on the Warriors is basically a weapon on the uh, on the offensive end. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, you know, it was. It's one of those things like I, I was kind of referring to. As, it's it's a, it's an experience thing. You know, I don't think the Sixers are necessarily used to. I mean, for we know for a fact, there most of these players aren't used to 
A, even playing in close games like that, but B, playing in games that, you know, that that was probably the closest to, like, a playoff environment that a lot of people, a lot of the players on the Sixers have felt so far. It was, you know, Wells Fargo Center was absolutely sold out. It was loud. Like, you know, people were standing, cheering. Like, both, <laughs> there was fans for both teams. There was definitely, a, you know, a pretty crazy environment considering how the Wells Fargo Center has been for the past couple of years. So I think it was, a, you know, a, in a late-game situation like that, that, you know, even though it didn't necessarily pan out the way that the Sixers would have in this situation, they could kind of, you know, take something from, from every part of that play, including that, uh, you know, that Livingston screen and kind of, you know, learn, just build up that as far as, how the ending and situations of tight games go in the future for when they will be actually in the playoffs, you know? Uh, speaking of the atmosphere, what do you think of the caution tape surrounding the court? Yeah, that that gave me a good chuckle. I did do like a double take. I'm not used to seeing that for Sixers games. I guess uh, that's what happens when the, the Warriors come to town. Yeah, I mean, uh, you'd expect, like, a body to be out there or something. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the way the Warriors have been playing all season, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few bodies <laughs> left around the court. Um, yeah, but, yeah, uh, once again, this is the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Katsky-Blamain. And uh, a report was released from Sam Amico that the Sixers have had discussions with the Clippers about Blake Griffin. Uh, what was your first reaction to this news, and have you, you know, given it much thought since then? I've probably given it too much thought <laughs> for a, a moment. <laughs> my first, my absolute initial reaction wasn't even to the player, wasn't to the fact that it was Blake Griffin. I was just happy to hear that they were, that the Sixers were engaged in talks. Like, I think the initial report that I saw said that the Nuggets and the Sixers had reached out to or had been in discussions with the Clippers about a potential Blake Griffin trade. And, I, you know, my first thought was, like, I like that they're getting out there. Uh, and, you know, no matter what, I think, especially when you're a team in a situation like the Sixers with a lot of assets, a lot of cap space, and not a true, like, identity, I think for them to just feel out the waters on any situation is, you know, in their best interest. You never know, like – if even if you could get in there as a third team and, you know, pick up something. So I was happy that they were involved, one of, like, the two teams that I saw mentioned involved. Um, and then, you know, I, obviously I started thinking about the potential possibility of it. Um, you know, since then, Doc Rivers, uh, GM of the Clippers, has already come out and said that, you know, they're not looking to trade Blake. It seems mm-hmm. unlikely that they would want to, especially at this point where, I mean, they're they're as much as a contender as any other team that's not the Warriors at this point. Um, you know, they have a they have a shot to go decently far in the Western Conference playoffs. They've been playing great without Blake. Um, you know, which I think where is a lot of where a lot of these rumors are stemming from. You know, plus you know, obviously the fight that he got into. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, they've been playing so well without him. I think that's kind of just led to the buzz of you know, well, why do they why don't they move him? They're doing fine without him anyway. But you know, when it comes down to it, he's one of the top. 15, 20 at least players in the NBA, probably even higher. And I, I just mm-hmm. don't see the likelihood of him, of them moving him or, you know, being able to get equal value for, you know, that's a team that's built to win. Like basically now Chris Paul is not young anymore. I think he's over 30, uh, you know, JJ, Paul Pierce, you know, but they're all, they're, uh, you know, a more established team. They're looking to win now. 
I just think, you know, anything you would get for Blake wouldn't be of equal value and probably, you know, you'd have to go through the process of reintegrating them into the lineup. It, it, it just doesn't seem like it would happen. But if it did, I, I was trying – the thing I was mainly trying to decide would be if Blake Griffin is a player that I would want the Sixers to, you know, not necessarily sell the house for, but I'm sure it would take – take a mm-hmm. good, good chunk of, you know, assets to acquire Blake. I don't know exactly what. I'm assuming some combination of picks and one of, you know, Okafor, MB, Noel, something like that, uh, you know. And I, I was trying to decide if I think Blake is a guy to, you know, that you would want to do that for. I'm still – I haven't come to a conclusion on that either way. You know, I, I, of course I like him. It would really come down to the package, I guess, Um I don't know if he's necessarily exactly like the the building block we would want going forward, but you know he is a, a top tier talent, and the Sixers do have flexibility. But uh, you know, so basically, I'm kind of split on the idea of him being a potential target. I don't hate it. I don't like love it either way. I think a lot of it would come down to the stakes. But in the end, I just don't. I don't really see it as a as a real possibility. So that's kind of where I've uh, you know where I've. I've kind of drawn the line about my thoughts on it. Um, what about you? I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on the matter. Yeah. So I, I think the likelihood is, is very slim. Uh, like, like you said, but I mean, it is exciting to think about um, to, to have the Sixers actually trying to pursue um, someone like that, at least making a call about a player of that caliber, you know, that hasn't happened in a long time. So um I I was very excited when I first read the news. I think realistically, if the Sixers were to acquire Blake, I don't think that the Sixers would ever let go of their pick. But, you know, if it came down to letting go the Lakers pick, um, potentially that that would happen. Um, They would also have to give up probably, I would say, Okafor in return because – you know, they already have a center that they're invested in in DeAndre Jordan. And, you know, Okafor has shown the ability to be able to play power forward, um, you know, pretty well. And I would say that uh, maybe even Robert Covington would be attached to the trade. And Lance Stevenson might might be another piece that the Clippers would send out just to, you know, clear clear some cap space of their own. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting to think about realistically, I, I don't think the Sixers would, you know, give up pieces of the future that easily for players, you know, with that big of contracts and I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I do think it's still very interesting and I think Blake could really bring a lot to the power forward position on this team it would shake up uh, what the Sixers actually do at the NBA draft. Um, Cause if you have Blake, I mean, do you really push for Ben Simmons? That That's another question that would obviously come up um, regarding that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. Um, the trade deadline obviously is coming up soon. Are there any Sixers you, you know, think might have a chance to be moved and who do you view as the Sixers' kind of most valuable trade chips at the moment? You know, it's so tough to predict. Like, last year I never would have guessed it. you know, MCW would have been traded at the deadline. Not, I'm not, not commenting on it being a good or bad trade either way. I just would, you know, it was unexpected, <laughs> I think. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. Uh, you know, I think people viewed him as the guy that they were going to kind of hold on to going forward for a while. 
and then he was traded. So, you know, I, and, you know, Hanky's been active each of the past two trade deadlines. The first one, of course, was, uh, you know, the day where we were all sitting around waiting for the, uh, the, the X-Sixers to get shipped out. <laughs> Spencer Hawes, Lavoy Allen, Evan Turner, uh, they all, all got dealt that day. And then last year, of course, the MCW, uh, and KJ McDaniels moved. So, I mean, to say you you would almost have to say you expect some some moves to come by the Sixers at that point. It's just the you know the mag mag uh, like how big magnitude of the moves. It's kind of what it's going to be like. You you honestly at least I can't say for a fact that anyone on the team is safe. If you know the if the right offer came up, if this the for instance like we were discussing, if somehow the Clippers did decide that they would make Blake avail, available to the highest bidder uh, at the trade deadline. And, you know, who knows if the Sixers throw in the Lakers pick, the Heat pick, and Okafor and, you know, roll the dice. I mean, it's it's tough to say. I don't think there's one guy that I would necessarily, that I, you know, I would place. Because, you know, a lot of the the uh, younger second-tier guys that are, you know, fighting to, to continue in the league, the Isaiah Cannons, Hollis Thompsons, uh, you know, Jakars, I don't know. Uh, you know, you don't know how much value, if any, they would really have across the league in a trade. Um, so then you're just kind of looking at more of the big name guys or, you know, the assets that the team has acquired. And at that point, um, you know, the trade would obviously become decently bigger, uh, kind of like the MCW one was last year. So, uh, you know, you, uh, that's always a possibility. And it's just something that I think over the next, like once the rumors start coming out um, leading up to the trade deadline, and you would imagine the Sixers will be, you know, linked to several of them, uh, just as they were the Blake, the Blake ones, just because of, you know, it's it's kind of known now. I think both Colangelo and Hinkie have have both said that you know nothing is really off the table, and that while they're not necessarily actively pursuing to trade any particular player, their ears are you know always open, and they're you know open to see what's going on across the league landscape. So, uh, you know, I definitely think that the Sixers will be linked to some rumors coming up over the next. Uh, 13 or 14 days or whatever until the trade deadline. And, uh, you know, it'll just be a matter of, I really think it'll be a matter of if the uh, right, if the, what they view is a, you know, good opportunity comes up, use some of the assets and cap space that they've acquired to do it. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. What do you expect from uh hinky and company on trade deadline day? Well, I think at the very least uh, outside of, you know, Noel and Bede Okafor, I think, you know, the team's, keeping them in, until further notice, uh, regardless of kind of what teams offer. I mean, if, if teams yeah. are offering, you know, <laughs> something outrageous, obviously Sam Hinkie will listen, but, you know, I, I think they're safe. Um, so after them in the packing order, I would say the guys, you know, more likely to draw interest from other teams are, you know, Robert Covington, Jeremy Grant, and, Hollis Thompson, I mean, all three of them have shown, at at least um, Covington and Thompson have shown the ability to hit, uh, you know, three-pointers on a consistent basis. Hollis is actually, um, I think, right along 40%, right around 40% this season. And I think he's career uh, about a 40% three-point shooter. So, you know, teams see that and teams see – you know, their, their contract value. And, um, I I mean, I think for any playoff team, just looking for a spark like that, um, off the bench for, for three point shooting, I think those are two names you might see, uh, linked to, you know, trades to playoff contenders. Um, 
And I, I think Jeremy Grant, long-term, could do a lot of things um, with his NBA career. I mean, we've seen his defensive intensity at times this season and his ability to run the floor. Obviously, his offensive game is still very unpolished, and he needs to work on it before you know he's a viable option there on a consistent basis. But I think those three names are the top of my list, at least. Um, what about you? Yeah, I mean, they, they both make sense. Hollis Thompson, definitely, I mean, he, like you said, if, if a certain situation came as far as, like, a playoff contender, because he, he absolutely does have the ability to stretch the floor and uh, knock down threes consistently. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of if if a team needed that at the deadline and what they would be willing to give up for, you know, kind of a one-dimensional guy. He, he certainly improved on defense. He's, he's not a liability on the defensive end. Uh, you know, but offensively, he doesn't do much else other than catch and shoot. He doesn't really have the ability to create his own shot or uh, put the ball on the floor and take it to the rim much. But if, you know, if a team is in need of floor spacing, uh, you know, especially going into the playoffs, then Hollis is definitely a guy. I mean, maybe Hinky would be able to get, I, I don't know, a second, a second rounder for him. Maybe I don't see them getting a first rounder for him at all. You know, maybe a package of second rounders or something else. Uh, Jeremy Grant is, I like Jeremy Grant a lot. I think, you know, especially considering the contract that they have him on for a couple more years, I think they'll keep him around. I think they like him enough too. And have seen, you know, kind of what you referenced, he's not necessarily a knockdown shooter, but you know, he's super athletic and he can do a lot of things on the court and he's pretty versatile. You know, he could pretty much guard two, three or four or play, you know, either any of those three spots on the offensive end. Uh, you know, he's, one of the better blockers I think already in the league from a, you know, a wing, a wing perspective, he's, you know, just, he makes a lot of things happen on defense. I would be semi surprised if they gave him up, especially, I don't know, considering he's his limited role up to this point. I don't know what his value would be across the league. I don't know what they would get back. So I'd be kind of surprised if they gave up on him. I think uh, he's a guy that will probably be around for a little while, but uh, in Covington also is, is another one like, uh, I like him a lot. Teams might come calling for him, his services, and you know, it depends how um, you know how dedicated the Sixers are to keeping him going forward. But he he probably will definitely draw some interest, uh, you know, from other teams looking for a similar thing like Hollis, a, a floor spacer. He's I think obviously a little bit more polished of a player offensively than Hollis. He can do a you know a little bit more. So I think uh, there'll definitely be a market for him. But, uh, you know, again, considering the, the contract that the Sixers have some of these guys on, you know, for the next, I think they still have Bob for two more years at very, uh, like right around a million, something very cheap. Uh, it just, you know, with that type of value, it feels like they might, they probably wouldn't be able to get back equal value in a trade. and They might be better off holding on to them. Of course. And uh, uh, before we end the show here, I I wanted to talk about, um, another move that the front office made, uh, reported by Woods this week, um, they promoted executive Brandon Williams um, to a new position, uh, which is basically uh, like overseeing agent relations uh, with the team. Um, and he, you know, used to perform duties under uh, Sam Hinkie as kind of player personnel, trade calls, scouting, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm starting to wonder uh, between, you know, Colangelo now signing off for for all the, the kind of uh, basketball operations and um, organizational moves that the team does, and now with 
Williams kind of overtaking the agent relations and um, stuff along those lines. I'm starting to wonder what Sam Hinkie kind of does right now in the front office. Um, It's kind of becoming more and more evident that they're taking away his power, um, you know, slowly and kind of um, an organized way. Uh, But what do you think of, you know, this Williams news and, and is that just kind of another thing to take away from Sam Hinkie? <laughs> I think you nailed it. At least those were my initial thoughts on the report. It's basically exactly what you said. The phrase that, you know, it was emphasized that uh, Brandon Williams was promoted. He did. He was with the, uh, you know, the 87ers, and he did a great job down there. Uh, you know, it was emphasized that he was promoted for, as you said, agent relations, which to me just screamed of, you know, Sam Sam Hankey, he's had, you know, his it's been well documented his uh you know I don't know what the right word is his inability to necessarily get along with players agents or uh you know kind of see be at odds with the agents of players and that's you know it's frankly turned off some um, you know agents from wanting to work with the Sixers and uh, you know that's obviously not a good look especially as the team's going forward and looking to you know add potential free agents you don't want to you know have any sort of sour relationships between guys that rep players that could potentially have influence over where these players will be playing um, so that you know that really kind of did <laughs> seem like it was you know well kind of a, not a not a direct shot at Hinky, but if like you said it seems something that Hickey should have been doing and now this guy will be doing it. So it's another, you know, kind of taking back of the responsibility. Um, and in that same report from Woj uh, was, you know, which I found equally as interesting, which I didn't know. I, I don't know if this just slipped through the cracks for me if, or if it was newly um, reported, but that, you know, Colangelo is not just an advisor, but he basically has final say on organizational mm-hmm. basketball moves. Uh, I think the direct quote was, uh, you know, uh, Colangelo has to sign off on any organizational yeah. uh, moves regarding basketball operations, which is, you know, to put it, it's that's a little more than a consultant slash advisor role from, <laughs> yeah. you know, from Skype in Phoenix, which is kind of how it initially was led to believe that Colangelo's <laughs> duty was supposed to be, uh, at least. I don't know how many people really bought that he was coming out of retirement to be an advisor to Sam Hankey, but, uh, yeah, both of those pieces of information together in the same report just, you know, as you mentioned, it seems to be kind of a in further indictment on Hinky. Um, you know, basically he doesn't have the final say at all. Like, it's it's he has to basically things have to go through Colangelo if they want to get done where he could, you know, potentially veto something that Hinky wants to push through. Um, so, yeah, I mean <laughs> – definitely interesting ever since it was announced that Colangelo was coming here there's been obviously speculation on you know Hinky's exact role in the front office now and what he's going to be doing for the team going forward so um you know it's just I think that's another example of the team potentially kind of minimizing his at least you know like outward duties as far as agents and uh you know interactions with other people go yeah and I find it strange also that Hinky has still kind of made these public appearances. You know, they had uh, kind of the announcement of their, their training camp uh, facility in Camden, and, um, you know, he was there in his hard hat in the pictures and um, kind of talking about, uh, you know, just the state-of-the-art facility that should be complete next year. And, um, I, I mean, what do you think of just kind of them putting him out there 
as kind of the leader of the organization, even though it seems like behind closed doors, he's not that person anymore. Yeah, I honestly don't know. You know, I don't want to comment too much because, like you said, I don't know the exact really what's happening. I don't want to like overstate his his position, but it does. It, I, I thought the same thing. It seemed kind of ironic that almost borderline like a joke. Like, uh, well, we're taking away his like his ability to make decisions that actually affect the team. But hey, he can go be the spokesman for our new practice facility, put on this hard hat, and go talk about how great this is going to be. <laughs> you know. And I wonder if that's honestly going to be kind of the extent of what he does for a little while, where he's kind of, you know, he's out out in front, you know, talking about things maybe, but not necessarily the things directly tied to the improvement of the team or, you know, player personnel moves, because that's, you know, he's never liked to talk about that stuff much anyway. Um, so, you know, you wonder if, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting to tell, like, how how much longer he's, going to be around with the team or what his role is going to be but you know it was definitely you know I don't want to say ironic but it was kind of amusing to see the pictures of him in the hard hat uh you know <laughs> talking about the facility when at the same time it seems that you know each report that comes out is about you know a little bit of his power getting usurped uh so you definitely kind of wonder exactly what's going on behind the scenes but uh hey the practice facility does look nice though of course, yeah. I mean, hopefully, I think um, someone in Liberty Ballers reported how, you know, they think that uh, maybe down the line, Colangelo will try to lure USA basketball there, which would be amazing. Um, but, you know, for now, I think it's something that players and hopefully, you know, top free agents uh, can be drawn in and, and see how great it is in the future. Um, but once again, this is uh, – 76ers report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky Blomine. Uh, go out and follow us on the app Stitcher and on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we got a, a big one tomorrow night against the Clippers, and hopefully uh, some more talks about Blake Griffin and uh, potentially a trade down the line. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, we've got a little All Star break where uh, Nerland and Ja will be representing the team in the Rising Stars Challenge. That'll be a uh, that'll be exciting. Of course, and everyone, you know, obviously enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, it should be a fun one, and, you know, we'll we'll see if uh, Peyton Manning will go out on top or if, uh, you know, Cam Newton and uh, that stifling defense can uh, overtake them. Should be a good one. Yeah. See you guys. Get on time to the show. There's only one road that you really have to know. So get to fish town without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I 95. Wanna get downtown but feel in the fix? Get on that road they call 676. The most expensive, expensive piece of interstate. If you ever made a better thing, pay with what they got your game. Get Bye.